But open up your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I want to talk this morning about the names that were given to the newborn king. Our titles, if you will, the name and titles of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about that this morning. And there's a couple of them that were mentioned right here in, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 all the way down to uh, verse 25. And um, so I want to read this passage, and then I want to talk about the meanings of those names together. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call, call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to come together on Sunday morning to worship you by opening up the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, to have it right there in front of us, to read, to study, to learn from. Lord, I pray as we begin to walk through and gain understanding from what we just read, that by your Spirit, you would lead us. You would teach us. You would help us to gain new insight. That the knowledge that we learn would not remain in our heads, but would move into our hearts because, Lord, we desire transformation. We want to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. And what a privilege it is to talk about the birth of Jesus. What an amazing event. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What an incredible thought. And may that motivate us to worship you in deeper and greater ways this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the, the great joys for a parent when you do have, if the Lord blesses you with children, is being able to name the child. As a mom or a dad, you've got time to kind of work through the different names that you want to choose. And of course, you've got to be very selective with this name. It can't be the name of the, that kid in grade school that you didn't like. That one's scratched off the list. It can't be the name of that crazy aunt or uncle. Uh, uh, that's got to be scratched off, off the list. It can't be the name of that coworker that you sit next to in the cubicle because you don't want that being the name of your child. It can't be somebody that's too famous because then everybody will associate that name with somebody that's too famous. It has to be just right. 
I looked it up this week because I was curious to know what the, the longest name that's recorded in the Guinness Book of World Records is. And so I went to Google, a very trusted source, and uh, Googled it. And some lady named her child a name that is 1,019 letters long. The birth certificate is two pages long. And the reason that the mother did this was to give her the rights to be called Guinness Book of World Records Longest Name Holder. I'm sure the daughter is very thankful for that name as she writes it out for the first time in second grade. At one point, the names meant something. You'd be named after your father, you'd be named after your grandfather, maybe some of you are named after someone special, a best friend, or maybe you're named after a favorite author or somebody in church history uh, that you like. Maybe it's a person of the Bible and you have a biblical name. All these names are there to honor that person or to honor their legacy. Well, the naming of the baby that was born in Bethlehem on Christmas Day was not decided out of popularity. It was not decided because the name was a famous name. It was not decided because of the length of the name. The name that was given to the baby that was born in Bethlehem wasn't even chosen by their mother and father. Mary and Joseph didn't even have the right to call their, their own baby the name that they would want to name it. The name that was given here was given to them by God through an angel for the very purpose to reflect what it is that that child would do. His name is the reason for him coming to earth. His name is the very purpose for his mission. His name would reflect the goal by which this baby, this newborn child, would walk on the earth. And there is so much meaning that is wrapped up in the name of the Messiah. And maybe you are, as you're listening in, because I kind of hinted at what it is that we'd be talking about, you found those, those two names that were mentioned here in Matthew 1, 18 to 25. The two names are this. We've seen it first, uh, uh, that his name would be called, verse 21, Jesus. And then it tells us why. It says, for he will what? He will save his people from their sins. And then at the end of verse 23, it says this, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Then it tells us why, which means what? Because God with us, that's what Emmanuel means. So let's talk about these two names this morning and allow this to kind of help us gather some information and even help us point us to worship Jesus even better. Let's look at this first name. The first name is this, Jesus. The name Jesus, it actually comes from the Old Testament name Joshua. Joshua means the Lord is my salvation. And really the, the stress of this name, if you will, the, uh, is on the verb here, which means to save, or one who will certainly save. The word is used in the Old Testament actually 700 times, over 700 times, mostly used in the book of Joshua for Joshua himself. For this newborn baby that was born in Bethlehem, the Christ, the name Jesus would become the personal name of this new child. In fact, Matthew wants to make sure that we understand this. If you look with me, you're right there in Matthew chapter 1. The opening phrase says this, the book of the genealogy of 
Jesus Christ. Verse 16, and Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph and husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Verse 21, and you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 25, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1, now after Jesus was born. The author is making no mistake as to who the Messiah is and what the personal name of this baby would be. He would be called Jesus. You also hear, you notice too, oftentimes he'd call him the Christ, and that was, that was added to it as well, as you can see even in the opening sentence and the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, he is called Christ. Verse 18, he is called Christ. Even again in, in chapter 2, uh, they wanted to know in verse 4 where the Christ would be born. This is, this is the meaning of the anointed one, the chosen one of God who would come, personally chosen by God to be uh, the Messiah, the one who would save people from their sins. That's why it is there as well. As I said, this name meant something very special. It was very important. It wasn't given to, it was given to the baby, but it wasn't given to him by Mary or Joseph, they didn't sit into a room together and write out a list of all the names they wanted to call their baby, scratching off the ones that they didn't like, adding new names when they thought, hey, maybe this will be a better name. No, uh, it actually just came in a dream. Joseph went to sleep one, one night and he woke up going, I guess I'm having a baby and I need to marry Mary and we're going to call him Jesus. No, Mary, we can't choose a different name. That's the one we're using. I actually don't think they cared what the name of the child was. If you remember the story, Joseph is, is asleep. He gets this announcement, and, and what does he become? He becomes fearful. Joseph, uh, Mary hears the announcement, and what does she? She becomes fearful. I, I think the last thing on their mind is caring what the name of the baby is. It didn't matter too much to them, but listen, it mattered much to God. This unknown, unnamed angel and Matthew 1 would say his name is going to be Jesus, and then he says why. Verse 21, look what it says, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for what? He will save his people from their sins. He will deliver them. He will redeem them. He would be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. He is the Savior of the world. He is Jesus. And I want you to notice this with me. Turn over to Luke because we begin to see this, that, that the people understood that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was the Savior of the world. As each person, as they heard of the news of, of Jesus' arrival, they said similar things. Luke chapter 1 and verse 47 Mary has this inter interaction with Elizabeth. Her response in verse 46 and 47, and she says this, My soul magnifies the Lord, verse 47, and my spirit rejoices in what? In God my Savior. Mary understood that Jesus would be the Savior. If you look over, uh, stay in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse uh, 76, and in 77, you have Zechariah's response, and he says this, And you, child, will be called 
the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to repair his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. He even says it in verse 69 there, he has raised up a horn of salvation. In chapter 2, probably the, the most familiar of all the verses, uh, when, it, when it surrounds the birth of Jesus Christ, in chapter 2, in verse 11, it says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, circle it, what? A Savior, who is Christ the Lord. You see it in chapter 2, and in verse 30, when Simeon was the one who was responsible for dedicating the new baby Jesus to the Lord, and in verse 30, it says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus would say it in Luke 19.10 that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He would even say that he would redeem, he would be a ransom for many in Mark 10.45. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, when it's talking about salvation, it is clear even there that, that Jesus would come, that he would be the one who would grant the forgiveness of sins. Look over with me in 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy 1.15. A helpful verse here that Paul writes. As Paul understood the need of salvation. Paul understood the need of a Savior. 1 Timothy 1 verse 12. I thank Him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorant in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here it is, verse 15. This saying is a trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to what? To save sinners. And then he says this, of whom I am the foremost. He gives us in one sentence there, the very reason for Christmas Day. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and he understood the importance of this day because he figured and he realized and he believed that he was the worst of all sinners. He needed Christmas Day. He desired Christmas Day because that was the day that he understood that the Savior of the world would come to forgive him of his sins, to save him from his unrighteousness. Now we need to be clear about this, okay? because this is where many get it wrong. Okay? Here's the clarity that we need. Jesus did not come to save you from poverty. Jesus did not come to save you from sickness. Jesus did not come to save you from one social class of life to put you into another social class of life. Jesus did not come to give you health, wealth, and prosperity. That is not why Jesus came to earth. Jesus did not come to give you your best life now here on earth or to make every day Friday for your life. 
That's not why Jesus came. The very name Jesus does not say that he will come and save you from poverty in this world. He will come and save his people from being sick all the time. He will come and save his people from one class of life to put them in another class of life. No, that is not why Jesus came. Jesus came to save you from your sins. He came to be the savior of the world. He came to remove you, remove the guilt and the pollution and the power and the punishment of sin upon your life. He came to meet your greatest need. Romans 3.23 states it as clear as can be. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, meaning this, that we are all on a path towards Death, we are all on a path towards eternal hell. Had Jesus Christ not come, had he not come and died on the cross, had he not come and chosen you, forgiven you of of your sins, you would still be destined for that place. Dying in your sins. But the very name Jesus means that he came to save you from your sins. In fact, look back with me in Matthew, even, even, even says it there that he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. Bound up in the very name and nature is the power of Jesus to save. Peter said this in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else. There is no name under heaven among which men can be saved. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and lawlessness. And 1 John 2, 12, it says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for what? His name's sake. Because of who God is. Because of His own glory. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 to 15 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having canceled us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Pastor John MacArthur has this quote that helps kind of tie it all together. He says this, What a blessed reality that Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive sin. Doesn't mean that we don't commit sin, we do. Doesn't mean that sin won't have harmful effects in this life, it does. What it does mean is we will never pay the ultimate penalty for sin. It's been paid. We will never die eternally. We will never spend a moment in hell. We will go from this life into heaven. Listen, no matter what a man or woman might be lacking, no matter how lonely your life might be, no matter how sad it might be, no matter how painful your situation, no matter how bleak the Christmas season, no matter how, no matter what dungeon or prison cell you may find yourself in, no matter how strong your fears or how terrifying the prospects of the future to you might be, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can see through to the one who has forgiven 
all your sins, and in that there is fullness of joy. No matter what goes wrong in this life, no matter what it is, a, the, uh, no matter not, not the way you would like it, no matter how, how much unfulfillment you face, know this. You have complete and perfect forgiveness for all your sins through Jesus Christ if you place your faith in him and you will never pay for your sins. Christ has done that. Isn't that amazing? I mean, now we're getting down to the heart of Christmas. Now we're getting down to the why of Christmas as we kind of peel back the pageantry of all of it, and we peel back all the layers of it, and we get down to the heart of it. Jesus Christ came, and he paid for all of your sins. No matter what the difficult situations that we face, and we do face them, and they're, they're real and they hurt, And no matter if this year you don't get your nostalgic Christmas that you wanted, it's just not going to happen this year. For whatever reason, you don't get that nostalgic Christmas and you may not get all the feels this year for Christmas. For whatever reason it is, we can go back to this reality. Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. And on the third day he rose. And in believing in him, there is fullness of joy. Because we have heaven to look forward to. That's truly the meaning of Christmas. There's a second name there. Look back with me in Matthew. There's a second name there. Not only will his name be called Jesus. You could say more that this is more of a title than a, than a name. You guys know how the story goes and with all the prophecy that there is in the Old Testament in verse 22, it says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is out of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. It means this, God with us. God with us. And we understand this in the Old Testament that God would appear at different times. His presence would appear at different times. And even all the way back in the garden with, with Adam and Eve was, was where he even said there that God walked with them in the cool of the day. We know that in, uh, uh, when, when, Egypt, when they were in bondage in Egypt and coming out of bondage in, in Egypt, the Hebrews were making their way through uh, to the promised land that the, the presence of the Lord would show up in a pillar of fire. We know that when Moses was on the mountain in Mount Sinai, that it was there that the presence of the Lord showed up. We know that the presence of the Lord would show up in the tabernacle, and the presence of the Lord would show up in the temple, but the, the presence of the Lord would not remain there. It would come and go. But now, at the birth of Jesus Christ, the presence of God was in bodily form. Just think about that. The glory of God showed up in bodily form. All this time, they've been seeing glimpses of God and, and manifestations of God over and over all throughout the Old Testament. But now, at the birth of Jesus Christ, you have the, the Godhead unveiled for us in bodily form. Right there, you, you could touch God. Right there, you, you, can, you could see God. And many, including Mary and Joseph, got to hold 
God in their hands. Not some secondary God, not some made God, not some created God. We know Jesus was not created. John 1, 1 tells us that, they, that he was there from the beginning and in eternity past. But what we're talking about is God right there manifest with them. He was Emmanuel, God with us. In fact, turn over with me to, to John chapter 1 because he says it better than I could ever communicate it. In John chapter 1, John's mind is blown by this reality. God in flesh? John chapter 1, verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, the eternality of Jesus Christ. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear, to bear witness about the light, that all would believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here it is, verse 14. All eyes on verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth jesus bore witness about him john bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me verse 16 for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Turn over with me. There's another passage you got to see in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, understanding what this means, that the word became flesh, dwelt among us, God with us. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14. Says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise here it says, partook of the same thing, that through death he might destroy the one in the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death are subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. 
And there's a reason why, it tells us, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered and was tempted, here it is, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So now we understand with God with us, and it means here that, that, that he took on, it says he partook of the same things. It says that, that, that he was made like his brothers in every respect, that God the Father came in human flesh, lived a life just like every other human except without sin. And it's here in Hebrews that he says that one of the reasons for that is so that he could understand the suffering by which we go through. In fact, if you look over in chapter 4, uh, all the way over in verse 15, it says this, For we, 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." God with us, Emmanuel, he came in human flesh and lived a life. And in living that life, he is able now to sympathize with us whenever we go through something difficult. Whenever we go through something hard, Jesus went through the pain. He went through the suffering. He went through all of that primarily to make propitiation for our sins, but it does not stop there. We don't have a God who does not understand us. We don't have a God who can't sympathize with us. We have a God who has been through all those things, and we have a God that we can run to for grace and run to for mercy, and he is ready there to dispense all of that upon our lives. How is it that God can be merciful? How is it that God can sympathize? Well, it's because he dwelt among us. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was sad. He cried. He lost sleep. He was angry. He was troubled. He grew. He read scripture. He prayed. He had sorrow for the lost. He was persecuted. He was mistreated. He had to flee family. He had to flee friends. He was alone. He was tempted. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. We don't serve a God who is unable to sympathize with us. No, we have a high priest who is called Emmanuel, who is with us, who dwelt among his people, who can sympathize with all that is going on in your life. And our God knows the hurts and the pains. He knows, he knows what family conflict is. He knows what it's like to lose a friend. He knows what it's like for one day to be filled with joy and the next to be discouraged. He knows what it's like to be rejected. Our high priest, our Emmanuel has come. Because he himself has been suffered and tempted, he is able to help. 
And it even says there in verse 16 of chapter 4, then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So that we can receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Like many of you, I, I, I love everything there is about Christmas. I'm sure there's some things I don't like, but for the most part, I love. I love decorating. I love putting up a Christmas tree, Christmas music. Some of you are like, I've been listening to it for months now. I love the food that comes with it. All those sugary sweets that come with Christmas. Being together with family. It's really, it really is a wonderful time of the year. But the reality is this, when you're hurting and when you're suffering, you could really care less about all those things. When life is hard and difficult, what you need to be reminded of is this, is that God is with you. What you need to be reminded of is this, is that at the heart of Christmas is a child that has come to seek and to save the lost and that he has come to be with you and he has come to save you from your sins and he has, he has come to sympathize in your weaknesses and he is able to help you and he is able to guide you and he's there to lead you. That's what Christmas is all about. And we go to him and we approach him with confidence. And this is what Christmas does. It's that time of year where we go back to remind us of this, that God is with us. And when you look into the manger, you, you look at the very face of God. He's there. He is willing. And He is ready to give you grace and peace and comfort. For all of your hurts. John Wesley, on his deathbed, he said this. Some of his last words were this The best of all is this, that God is with us. The very best of all is this, that God is with us. It's in a lot of the songs that we sing at Christmas time. Think of this one. Hark the herald angel sings. This is a great line. It's becoming one of my favorite lines. It says this, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. In a little town of Bethlehem, you probably sneaked in there a little bit, maybe didn't realize it. It says this, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the glad, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord, Emmanuel. And we get all of that at Christmas in Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that our God cared enough 
to send to us the Savior of the world. In full humility and in full humanity, Jesus was born. And we're so thankful because we understand that we cannot save ourselves. We understand that apart from Christ, we are lost and dead in our trespasses and sin and destined for hell. But in Christ, there is the forgiveness of sins. And in Christ, we know that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And your word says that you will never leave us nor forsake us. In fact, you told the disciples as they went off to share the gospel, you said this, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What a great promise that is. We can cling to that, that you are with us. You can sympathize with us. You're ready to dispense grace onto our lives each and every day. And to that, Lord, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.